I'm glad you're here this morning, and I believe it's not by accident that you're here this morning. And I also believe it's not by accident that I'm here this morning and that we have the message that we have this morning. So if you were here last week, we completed the series on James and Pastor Don um, just brought that to a beautiful close, and we had a wonderful time of prayer together and just a real flooding of the Holy Spirit, and thankful for that. And so today I have the privilege um, to introduce a new series this morning, and it's called Kingdom Economics. Yeah, I'm, you might go, what? what? It might seem heavy, and we might have questions. And some said, Maureen, did you, did you draw the short straw? Or, <laughs> but, but no, you know what? I am really excited about the opportunity to introduce this series. And we're going to talk about lots of things through this series. We're going to talk about how to use our gifts, our abilities, our resources, our time, our opportunities. And we're going to talk about money. You're going to hear that coming up again and again. We're going to talk about money. And so because a lot of my ministry life has been with children, I just love the profound truths that come out of the mouths of children and the innocence that they have when they're asked questions. So I have a little video I want us to watch about. This is how children think of money. Don't you love that? And I love the little guy that said, I'm going to use it for college. And it was like, take that. I am smart. Yeah, I'm going to use it. And I really like the little guy that said, a credit card is where you just, they take it from you and they go, and you can see it's a little bit of an older video because they don't have to go like this anymore. They just have to tap, right? So, so then they give back, you get whatever you want. And so when he was talking about college and credit card, it took me back to my first experience with money and independence. And so I was going to university at U of S here. We had lived in a small town, so I had to move away from home. I had rent to pay. I had tuition to pay. I had groceries to buy. I had a bus pass. I needed all these things that I needed to be at university. And it was tough. It was hard. Money was tight. My family was going through some really hard things too. My dad had left our family, so financially there wasn't a lot of money. We were we were trying to figure out how that works through separating or my parents were things. There just wasn't a lot of money. And so when that Christmas was coming, I was thinking, oh man, I just wish that we could have a, a good Christmas. I knew my dad wasn't going to be there and it was, it was going to be hard. But what I found out, and some of you won't be familiar with this store, but it's kind of like a Walmart. It was called Zeller's in Saskatoon. Does somebody remember Zeller's? Yeah. We've got some young people that remember too. Well, Zeller's, <clears throat> Zeller's had incredible compassion for people like me because they knew how hard it was for university students to make their Christmas special for those that they love. So Zeller's had this promotion. If you were a student at the university, you could get a credit card, no credit check, nothing needed. If you paid tuition, you could get a credit card. Me and all my friends we're so thankful to Zellers because they understood what we were going through. They wanted to help us. And so we all got $800 credit limits at Zellers. No questions asked. It was the best. I loved them. I just thought, oh, they're so compassionate and kind. And I went out and bought the most special gifts for my family that Christmas. 
I remember I bought my mom a knife block with some beautiful knives, and she'd never really had a really great knife block with those knives. It was so great. I bought my sister something. I bought both of my brothers gifts, and we went home. I went home at Christmas time, and everyone said, Maureen, how did you do this? As a student, you must have really been saving and scraping, and well, you're so generous, and oh, I felt so good. And then my mom took me into the bedroom, and she said, Maureen, how did you do this? And then I said, but mom, in the city, there's this place called Zeller's. <laughs> and they love students. And they wanted to help us. And they were compassionate. I had my first introduction with what a credit card can do. And also, sometimes when I look now at the buy now, no interest, don't pay for five years, and, and you can have it, you can have a complete living room like that, I think, oh, people are still using that same strategy. So I learned that credit cards aren't really what they're cracked up to be when you don't know what you're doing with it like I didn't at that time. So kingdom economics, that's our focus this morning. And the main goal for the end of today and this sermon is I hope that what the truth that sinks deep into our souls and is planted there is what the sermon title is, that everything belongs to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for those that are gathered here, and Lord, we just want to open up our hearts and minds to what you want to show us today, Lord. Not me, but the words that you've, you've given to me to speak, and Lord, I just so know that you, Holy Spirit, are the true teacher. So right now, Lord, I just pray that we would open up to what you want to say to us through your word and through this message. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to start with those two big words, kingdom economics. Um, when asked to define the kingdom of God, uh, many people struggle. Many of us struggle. And so some think it's heaven, and some would call it the church. Some would say, no, it's followers of Jesus. And there are elements of all of those things that are true. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe. However... The kingdom of God is also personal. It's the reign of God in our hearts, in the hearts and lives of those who confess Jesus as king, their savior and Lord, and surrender to God's authority. And so the kingdom of God is not an actual physical place, though at times we can think of it that way, but it, it transcends time and space. It's both future and present. So there, that clears up the word kingdom, and now we'll go, no one's even laughing, I have a ha-ha here, that, that doesn't clear up, the, it's, it's big, it's massive, it's like, whoa, to me that's going, now that doesn't clear it up, that just makes it bigger, I don't get it, what is the kingdom, kingdom, but the Pharisees, they wanted to nail Jesus down on things too, and so they asked Jesus, and Pharisees were religious rulers that like to corner Jesus or trip him up on what he said. And so they asked him, Jesus, when the kingdom, what does the kingdom, when it's, when's it going to come? What is it? When's it going to come? How's it going to come? And in Luke 17, 21, Jesus replied this. He said, the kingdom of God will not come with observable signs. Nor will people say, look, here it is. Or there it is. He said, for you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. 
Other translations say it's already among you, is within you, it's now and it's to come. So it's big, it's amazing, and yet it's personal and it's real. Moving on to the word economics, that's a little bit easier to define because there's a definition for that. And some of you would be economics majors or, or that's it, your line of work. Economics is a social science concerned with the production, distribution, and consumption of goods, services, and wealth. Economics can be broken down into two things. Macroeconomics, which concentrates on the behavior of the national and global economy, and microeconomics, which focuses on individual consumers and businesses. So, putting the two words together is really powerful. When you think of the kingdom of God being the reign of an eternal sovereign God over all the universe, there's macro. And when you think of the kingdom of God as personal, Jesus in our hearts and lives as we willingly submit and surrender to God and his authority, then it's micro. It all matters to him. There's always two components to the kingdom. There's this, this um, vertical component that's our relationship to God. Jesus died on the cross. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. What do we do with that? That's a gift that we can receive. That's our relationship, that vertical relationship. What do we do with that? But then there's a horizontal component is how does that relationship with God affect my relationship with the world? There's two parts. A good place to begin the study and subject of kingdom economics is in the beginning, at the beginning. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 1.1. First verse in the Bible says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we learn there. He created it all. He owns it all. He created it all. But then he actually takes some of his creation people, and puts them in a place to take care of other parts of his creation. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So people are given the enormous responsibility and opportunity to manage God's creation. People are pictured here as gardeners and protectors, That's uh, to work it and take care of it. In other translations, the NLT says they are to tend and watch over his garden. New American Standard Bible says that they are to cultivate and keep it. Still being very aware that when you tend and cultivate and keep the garden, you're still at the mercy of the warmth of the sun, the moisture of the rain from that macro, God, or the garden won't grow. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So here we're reminded again of the truth. The title of the message, Everything Belongs to God. We are called to be good stewards of all that has been entrusted to us. Now that word steward might be new to some, or you've heard it, or maybe you've heard stewardship, or even in church um, history, stewardship campaign and it might seem like a churchy word, but I wanted to do what the, talk about the definition of stewardship. So stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. 
So when we take that, and then we talk about what we do, what gives value to our work, the things that we do, isn't just that it enables us to provide for our families. That's only one part of its significance. But our work enables us to fulfill our calling to steward and govern what we are given to tender care for in the world. So in that sense, our work can be a fundamental expression of worship if we choose to respond that way. So as human beings, we are unique to the rest of creation in that we've been given a free will. And so a plant, and part of his creation as a plant grows, if the soil is good and the soil is rich and the sun is warm and the moisture is right and there's no harsh elements, that plant grows. It doesn't have a decision-making ability or a will to say, hey, all everything's good, but I'm not growing. It is at the will of its surroundings. But as humans, it's different for us. We've been given a free will. So we, we, seem, we have this ability to choose. And sometimes that can be dangerous because that ability starts to make us think we can control and that we actually are part of owning things. And so there's a challenge there. This leads me to a question that I had from a grade four boy here in children's ministry um, a number of years ago. And I'd done some teaching, and then after, it's, it's a grade four boy puts his hand up, and I just love this guy. That's several years ago, so he's actually within our youth now. He put his hand up, and he said, um, Pastor Maureen, uh, you tell us, and I know God owns everything, right? He controls everything. And I go, yes. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, I love it when light bulbs go on, and kids have these great transforming moments. It just feels, you know, and if we're not careful, we can say, oh, I must have explained that really well. You know, then the second part of the question comes. And he said, well, if God controls everything like you say, why doesn't he just make everybody believe and everybody do good? We'd have no more war. We'd have no more fighting. We'd have no more. I'm going, oh, <laughs> yeah. What I do every time a child has an incredible, profound question, I go, Lord, help me. And then I say, that's a really good question. Because <laughs> it was a really good question. So just because I'm accountable to you, my church, I want to tell you how I answered it. After I said, Lord, help me again. I, I thought, grade four boy, robot, remote control. And I said, you know what? Um, this is why I think he wants us to choose him. You know, like a robot, if we just do everything we're told, everyone would be the same, or a remote control when you tell. He actually wants us to choose to follow him not be forced to follow him. Now, I don't know if it's because I used robot or what, but the answer seemed to be okay with him. I'm thankful for that. Um, so if we want to go in even deeper into what it means to steward, I, I'd like us to look at a parable this morning, the parable of the talents. And a parable is a story that tries to explain a concept to the listeners using the list, things that the listener can easily identify with. So it's a comparison of two things. It often has two meanings. And Jesus frequently used parables. And sometimes he used parables to actually hide meaning from self-righteous people that were trying to corner him and to reveal truths to those that were hungry for his teaching and wanted to obey. So my prayer this morning is that we are open and hungry to hear what he has for us, relying and knowing 
that the Holy Spirit is a true teacher. So it's called the parable of the talents. However, you'll notice in this morning's translation, the word talent isn't even in there. A talent is a, uh, used in the NIV that I'm going to read this morning, it's translated into a bag of gold. So a talent was a first century unit of currency that, that had this expression of weight and being big and large. And what we need to remember is that it was a large amount of money, a large thing they were responsible for. So the man in this parable is extremely wealthy. So let's go on to the parable in Matthew. And it says, again, it will be like a man. And I want to just stop with the it. The it is because the people were asking him, what's the kingdom of God like? So when it says it, it's talking about the kingdom. So again, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have given five more and gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Said, master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. That wicked, lazy servant line gets me every time. Parable goes on to say, actually, that bag of gold was taken from him, that talent was taken from him and given to someone else to manage. So this morning, thinking of this and some of the other verses that we've read, I'd like to suggest three stewardship principles. Remembering that the definition of stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And that first principle is everything belongs to God. The sermon title, the bottom line today, everything belongs to God, as we've read in his scripture. It's the principle that we need to understand um, that God is the true owner of all assets. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible emphasizes his ownership. Psalm 50, verse 10 to 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Some of you may remember, my husband Elmer was telling me, um, I didn't grow up in church, so this wasn't part of my upbringing, but he said when he was a little boy in the church that he grew up, they used to sing a song called, the cattle, He Owns the Cattle on a Thousand Hills. Does anybody know that song from a while ago? Some do. 
It's a verse in the Bible, obviously. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And Elmer and I were reflecting on a story that happened to Elmer when he was young, young, just starting out in a farming career. Way before we were married, his father owned a, a grain and cattle operation, and Elmer was young, and he was going to start his own part of a cow-calf operation. So he purchased 25 cows. The first year, all 25 cows had incredible calves, and he had great income off of that. And it was really profitable, and it was an exciting year, and it seemed to go well. Second year, as he was trying to grow this operation, the first calf died. Second calf died. The third calf born died. The fourth calf born died. It went on and on. Some died at birth. Some lived a day and died the next day. Some were aborted. Some were, um, lived a short time and died. Nineteen of 25 calves died. When the next calf was born and Elmer was at his, and then just feeling like, oh, what's happening? And if, you're a, if you know anything about cattle, when that calf is born, if you're there, you try to rub it off and get it breathing good. And so you can just picture that. He's down in the barn. He's on the ground. He's rubbing that calf off. And he's saying, Lord, you got to help me, please. Lord, this isn't going well. I, uh, all the calves are dying. Lord, will you help this calf to live? Will you show me and give me hope and help this calf to live? And then he said, if this calf lives, Lord, I'll, I'll give it all to you. The whole animal, I'll give it all to you. And that calf lived. And then after that, a vet figured out what had been going on and was able to do some um, treatment of the others. And so Elmer ended up with six calves living out of 25 that year. And then as he watched them grow, that one that he had prayed over and then he said, God, if you let them live, that calf grew to be the strongest, biggest, heaviest, the nicest looking animal of all six. Superior by far, Elmer said. So when it came time to sell, Elmer shared with me and has over the years his honest thoughts and his struggles inside. And they went kind of like this. Uh, did I really say that one? Or did I say one of the six? Um, did I really say all of it? I really need this income. And all the time he's knowing, I know what I prayed. I know what I said. It was that one. Is that cow? And the song, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he said, kept going through his mind too. I'm thankful that he did the right thing. But it was difficult. That can be hard. But our days are really in his hands. Not only are the things that we possess, our gifts, our abilities are actually on loan from him. Our houses, cars, clothes, and every, every possession, our money, it doesn't really belong to us. We really don't own anything. I want to tell you another story and show you a picture. This is a story I had an opportunity to travel to El Salvador with Jody Cozan and our good friend Lisa Braun, who has passed away. Now, but we traveled there with Compassion a number of years ago. It was a powerful trip to see the work of Compassion and got an opportunity to meet my sponsor child, and it was just a really uh, special time. And part of the trip was we visited the, the Compassion, they call them projects, and saw the incredible work that they were doing. And then we had collected and we gathered enough to visit 10 homes 
and gift them with food and things um, for, for their homes. And so this beautiful lady on both sides, her name is Dora. And that middle picture there is in Dora's home. As we were walking down the alley, I noticed that Dora was kind of, of smiling as we were going. And through a translator, I asked her, I said, Dora, are, are we going to your home? And she smiled and she was so happy that we were going to her home. And I was happy. And on the way to her home, we stopped at this picture on the left. Now, through the work of compassion, Dora had been entrusted with and given a commercial oven. Like, it wouldn't necessarily look like a commercial oven that we might have here, but this is her bakery on the left side, and on the side where the picture was being taken was this oven. And so Dora had the ability to make really great bread. And so she was given this, she baked the bread, and then she said, and sometimes I make it to the market. So I was all excited because Dora had this, this opportunity to make bread, provide for her family, give to others that are in need. And then I kept hearing this, and sometimes I make it to the market. And I'm thinking, okay, did the, does the bread burn sometimes, or does she not, is she not, does it not work out sometimes? And I asked through the translator, and the translator said, no, um, sometimes, lots of times, the bread is stolen on her way to the market. And then I'm thinking back to Dora explaining it, saying, but sometimes I make it to the market. And I, I, we had an opportunity to pray for her in that bakery. She was such an incredible... And here's the truth that hit me. Dora was very aware that everything belonged to God. And she was managing it. And even... When she was treated unfairly or unjustly, which I wanted to go, this isn't, we got to do something about this, is my natural instinct there. But that wouldn't work in her situation. But she didn't want to let that, what was happening to her, take root in her in a way that grew bitterness or resentment because it would rob her of the relationship that she had with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was so present in that little bakery that when we were praying, it was hard to stand up. So powerful. And I looked at her and I thought, in this situation, of course, you're not going to want to trade this, this care and love that you have from your Heavenly Father, because you're going to live in the unfairness and unjust of what happened to her. And I know that seems hard to comprehend, and for me it was too, but when I saw her, I thought she totally gets it. That even when things don't seem fair, it all belongs to God. So the second principle I'd like to suggest is that God trusts us to manage what he gives us. Jesus has entrusts us with various gifts, abilities, and resources which we are to manage on his behalf. A good example of this is our green space funds. If you're familiar with that or if you're new to that, that's this piece of land out here that we've sold and then so we have this money that really isn't our money. It's God's money, and he has entrusted it to us. And so we want to be wise stewards of how to use that. Third stewardship principle I'd like to suggest is what we do with what we have reveals our view of God. The first two servants focused on the Lord and saw him as good, saw him as a good father, and the third one focused on himself, and he said, I knew. So when we have a faulty view of God, it can lead to excuses. And when we have a faulty view of God, it can lead to fear. The first two knew the master, and the third one didn't know him. 
glad the worship team is joining us because when we get to this, this is the part of the whole thing if everything belongs to God. If we're struggling with that, we need to ask ourselves the question, do I really know him? Do I know him in a way that he's a good, good father? And so if we struggle with that truth that everything belongs to God, all our time, all our gifts, all our talents, all our opportunities, and our finances, we need to get to know him better. So I have two questions that I'd like to leave us with after these stewardship principles, and those questions are this. What do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? And what is the hardest thing to hold open-handed before God? I want to tell you what's going to just happen over the next couple of songs. We're going to have a prayer time. And if you've, if you've regularly attended here, you know we have prayer time in, in this response time in our service. And so I want to give you an opportunity to come up and pray with someone. Maybe you're struggling with some things that were said in this message about everything belonging to God. Maybe you're struggling with that, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something from last week and you just want someone to pray with you. We invite you to come up. Or maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm trying to control something that I need to surrender. And you know that it's a perfectly good prayer and fair prayer if you say, I'm just not willing or I'm not ready to deal with whatever that Holy Spirit is saying to you. It's a great prayer to say, I'm willing to be made willing. Lord, will you help me be made willing? That's a good prayer. So we invite you to respond in that way. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And after my prayer, parents are dismissed to pick up their children from Grove Kids. And I know sometimes that's hard to get yourself in that reflective mode, but I I know that right now there's messages and people are hearing things from the Holy Spirit. So parents are invited to go pick up their children. And then we invite you to come up and have someone to pray with you. Like I say, it might be something from today or it might be something that you just knew there was going to be prayer people and there's something that you want to pray, have us pray with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I just thank you that Holy Spirit, you are the true teacher. So this question, what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? Lord, I just know there's messages all over this sanctuary. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds to what you're speaking. And Lord, not just open up, but will you help us to respond? And Lord, I also pray that maybe there's someone that's saying, you know, I hear you talk about that kingdom and that relationship that's vertical first. I don't know if I have that relationship, so I'm not sure how to have the horizontal one with others. Because I'm not sure if I know the Father in the way that I want to know him, or if that I know Jesus in the way that's personal and real. And so I feel like sometimes I'm like that third person that doesn't know him well enough to enter this trust. So Lord, I just pray that we would even come up and pray for that. Remember that we can pray, I want to be made willing. I want to be, help me to be made willing. And I want to learn how to follow Jesus. That's a great prayer too. So Lord, I just ask that you would help us to respond to you in the way that you're calling us to this morning. May we be obedient in that. We love you, Lord. I pray these things in your name.